Our passage is in Matthew chapter 15 as we continue our study through the book of Matthew. We're calling today's message, uh, pull it up on the screen, there it is, Kingdom Purity. Matthew 15 will be in the ESV. You can follow along as always uh, with us and we'll have the words on the screen. Um, These days we've got one way of counting people, right? Who's got the Rona and who doesn't? That's basically, that's the way we count things. We have our charts that say how many people have been affected worldwide, how many have died, how many have recovered. That's how we're counting people these days. All over the news, or you've probably, like me, gotten very familiar with this chart, right, on the Anchors Daily News. I go daily to see, we ask the question that really determines in a lot of ways uh, our future as a state, as a, as a world, how many positive cases today. This is how we're counting. It's also changed the way that we've seen people, right? How we treat people. Had a guy come into the church uh, a couple days ago, and he comes just boldly walking in, sticks out his hand to shake my hand. I screamed like a schoolgirl, right? I am free. Get away from me, right? Don't touch me. Are you crazy? It's corona season. Or you'll be walking through the supermarket the supermarket. What is this? Pleasantville? Um, you're walking through the, the store and, um, you know, you're looking at people, right? Oh, I bet he has it. Right? Uh, no. Why is he wearing a mask? Why isn't she wearing a mask? You know, we, somebody coughs and it's like you're held at gunpoint. Everybody just freezes. Like, where'd they come from? Who was it that coughed, right? And so this has changed the way we've seen people. And, and we just want to know one question. Who's sick and who's healthy? Who, who is clean and who's not? And this is what Jesus wants to address today in Matthew 15. He wants to talk about purity. Who's clean and who isn't clean? Now, we're studying the book of Matthew, and we just started last week our fourth part in this series. We're calling it the Upside-Down Kingdom. This is Matthew chapters 14 through 20. Shout out to all the Stranger Thing fans out there. Um, Matthew's gospel was written about 20 to 30 years after Jesus had ascended and gone back to heaven. So this is about 50 or 60 AD. Now, Matthew's gospel was written primarily to the Jewish people. And this is important for us as we read this to understand this. This was a group of people who thought they were in, who thought they were clean. Why? Well, because they were born from the right parents, right? They were born into the right nationality. Look at my yarmulke or other distinguishing factors. It's a family show, so we'll just keep moving. Um, Matthew wants to challenge them and say, no, 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 no. This good news is for everybody. In fact, this upside-down kingdom is really going to mess with your expectations. And this is what his whole gospel's been doing. Those who you think aren't in, are in. The very first words was this genealogy, and what we saw in it were these four Gentile women who you would think had no business being in the royal pure line of Jesus. And then who was the one, who were the ones that worshiped Jesus right when he was born? It wasn't King Herod, king of the Jews. It was the Babylonian and probably the foreign wise men who came bringing gifts, declaring and worshiping, this is the God. And then we saw who was it that he first healed. It was the Gentile Roman centurion's slave. A time and time again, Matthew was showing us that Jesus is here for those who you wouldn't think. And then those who you would think are in aren't, right? The Pharisees, the scribes. Last week we saw Jesus' very hometown of Nazareth rejects him. The Jews, the ones he came to, are the ones that are stiff-arming Jesus. And I think this is such a timely word for us in the Christian world. People who think they're in, they think they've got it. Matthew wants to say the ones who are in the most danger 
are the ones who think that they're in and they aren't. The hardest group for Jesus to convince who he was and that he needed them were the people of Israel themselves. And I think about for us today, the hardest group to preach to is the, is the unsaved or the hard-hearted that are sitting in the church. Now, there's only a couple of you actually in the church building today, so I don't know if you're feeling convicted. That's between you and God. Um, the, 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 it's those who say, well, I was born in the nursery, right? Or, well, not born in the nursery, but you, you get what I'm saying. That would be a weird thing. My, my parents were saved, that I, that I said a prayer at camp, that I was baptized, that I went to church all my life. I've been giving, I've been giving 11%, right? Above and beyond. That, that I am I'm one who doesn't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang out with girls who do. Right? And we, we say, look at who I am. I'm on the inside, right? But the question today that Jesus wants to put before us is, what does it really mean to be clean? What does it really mean to be healthy? What does it really mean to be saved? And, and more important than how to be clean and, and of COVID-19 is how to have a clean heart. What it means to have right standing before our God. And so this morning, we're going to look in Matthew 15 at the symptoms of impurity. We're going to look at the diagnosis of, of where that impurity comes from. And then finally, what is the cure for our impurity? And what we're going to see today are two scenes that at first are not what they would appear. So let's look at Matthew 15 together. Uh, first, the first one we'll look at is when what looks really clean is really is actually Dirty. You know, one of the scariest things about the virus is that it's um, asymptomatic. And, and this is a word that most of us did not know what it even meant two months ago, right? Maybe Dr. Abel, and I bet Blair knew. I bet he's a guy that would know something like that. But um, it, it means that you can carry this thing without showing symptoms. That on the outside you look clean, but on the inside you actually have a virus. And at the beginning of our chapter today, we're going to see some dudes that, that are asymptomatic. They have the disease, but they think that they're actually clean. So let's start with verse 1. And you know who this would be, right? The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. And they're going to talk to him. Now, what we saw in chapter 12 was that the Jewish leaders, they hate Jesus. They're rejecting his claims to be the king, to be the, the, the Messiah. In fact, they're ascribing his miracles to Satan himself. And they're actively looking for a way to kill him. Verse 14 of chapter 12 says that. They're conspiring on how to destroy him. Other than that, they think he's great. Right? But, but they, they know that he's got a pretty big fan club. Right? There's a lot of people following him. So they can't just in broad daylight crack him over the head of the scroll. They, they know they've got to get some dirt on him. So they send this posse from Jerusalem, a.k.a. hypocrite headquarters. And, and they're trying to bring this charge against Jesus. So they can rightly put him in his place. Right? So look at verse 2. Here's the charge. Why do your disciples, they say, break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. So they charge him, really they charge his disciples, um, with not washing their hands when they eat. Jewish happy birthday to you. Jewish happy birthday to you. This is the, the charge. Now, this, th this is a relevant text for us today, hand washing, right? These, these Pharisees would have been crushing COVID. Not one of them would be infected. But at first, this might seem like a, a weird accusation. Like, this is the worst you can come up with? That the disciples aren't washing their hands before a meal? Well, keep in mind... The Pharisees and the scribes, they have gotten to the point where they have elevated their own traditions and interpretation of the law 
over the law itself. In fact, their own words in the Mishnah, which is a collection of teachings from these scribes and Pharisees, they just go out, they don't even try to hide it. It says, my son attends to the words of the scribes more than the words of the law will tell you what the law is and how you live it out. That's even more important than the law. But instead of playing their little game, Jesus once again brilliantly gets to the heart of the matter. Verse 3. He says back in verse 2, yeah, the disciples, they said they're breaking the tradition of the elders, but Jesus comes back and says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? He says, you think that your traditions protect God's law? But, but here's at least one instance where they actually spit in the face of God's law. And he takes us to this little thing. Um, there was this thing that they would do. They, they, they would declare something Corbin. They said the word Corbin to something. That meant it was set aside for God. Matthew, uh, Mark 7 unpacks this a little bit more. So you could have some money or some land. And if you said Corbin... That meant it was set aside for God, which was a sweet deal for two reasons. Number one, it was a deferred gift, meaning that it was pledged to God, but in the meantime, I'm the keeper and manager of it. How convenient, right? Really, this was a way to, to, do, to have what they wanted for as long as they wanted, and then when they died, it became God's. How generous. The second thing that it did was it prevented them from having to give it away to somebody else, namely their parents. And when you Google image Jewish parents, this is the first one that comes up, which is fantastic. Um, so these guys do not look happy. They're, they're not, they, their stuff has been corbined by their Pharisee son. Um, Jewish custom was to take care of your parents as they got elderly. So as my parents start to look more and more like this, it's going to be my job, my responsibility to help them. My back will start hurting from carrying the Frankino team. But this was a loophole. They would go, sorry, that money, that land that, that would help you, Corbin, it's God's backslash, it's really mine. Um, and so here are Jesus' words in light of that. He says in verse 4, For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. So he points out what God's command was. But he says, but you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, Corbin, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. He says, you haven't protected God's law. You've actually directly violated it. You've nullified it. See, God's command was to honor your father and your mother. And, and this was, it was right in the Ten Commandments, right? To love and provide for them. In the meantime, the Pharisees stick out their tongues at their parents and just say Corbin to everything, touching donkeys and camels and houses and fields. This is, this is greed and this is selfishness cloaked in religiosity. What Jesus is really doing here is, is showing that these, showing these hand-washing hypocrites who think that they're so holy, they're so pure, that there's, here's some symptoms that would suggest otherwise. And it would do us good at this point to check our own hearts for some of these symptoms as well. The symptoms of impurity. And he wraps this up saying, Isaiah said that people like you would continue to exist. He says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. 
teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And I see a few principles in here, a couple if you're following along in your notes that we're actually going to kind of zoom by. The first one is when your words don't match your heart, when I say one thing, but actually what's inside of me, my attitude or actions is, is not lining up with that. And we'd also see when your love for God doesn't match your love for people. They're, they're saying, Corbin, this is for God, but really they are not loving their parents. But the one, this is a, a free one I'm going to slip in here, it's when your tradition, traditions don't match God's commands. Your traditions don't match God's commands. So I was thinking, what are some of our traditions? Like hand washing is not really a holdup for a lot of us, um, you know, in, in this time of year, this time of the pandemic season maybe. But what are some of our, our traditions um, I was thinking, you know, for us in, in the church, maybe it's, um, we are to attend a Sunday service. We are to listen to a 35-minute sermon. You don't you dare go a minute over. We're going to sing some songs about Jesus, usually in the five to six range. We did three today. Um, participate in programs. Be involved in Sunday schools and, and youth group or a children's church or, or a home group. Uh, write a tithe check, right? Now, make sure you do that, please. Um, don't cuss or drink, at least not too much. So, so see some of the... And now listen, is there anything wrong with anything on, these, on this list? No, of course, those are all good things. Just like hand washing was a good sound principle. But when we get into trouble is when we say this is what it means to be a Christian. When, when we say... That, that the summation of the Christian life is to follow these traditions and in the process totally ignore what God has actually commanded. And when you look in the New Testament, when you see what Jesus and, and Paul and the other disciples wrote to the church, what they're calling us to do as believers, uh, what are God's commands? God says things like, love one another as I have loved you. He, he says in James, take care of the orphan and the widow. Bear one another's burdens, Paul says in Galatians. What does that look like in this season? Make disciples, Jesus said. That's your top priority. Take up your cross and follow me. In fact, you're even going to suffer when you follow me and rejoice in that while you suffer. And, and so what we see here, if I asked you if, if someone is a Christian and how do you know? Honestly, which list would you point to? If they were doing one list and not the other, which one for us would be the, the indication of whether or not they're actually following Jesus? Because we can all do the things over on the left without doing any of the things on the right, just like the Pharisees were doing. And, and I think that um, I, what, what we often do, the church does, is we make this completely self-serving, which is what they were doing. They were saying Corbin, but really it was serving them. So much of us, we think about our Christian life as far as our approval of a Sunday morning program. Oh, I like the pastor. Mm, didn't have quite enough jokes slipped in there. Oh, too many hymns this week, or the songs were too loud. I didn't like, they didn't have the right age-appropriate program for my kid today. It's all self-serving. Instead of us asking, what is God actually telling us to do? What does he want us to be and do as the church? And how do we press into that? And this season has really rattled some of our traditions, right? We're doing things different. either been altered or, or temporarily stopped from the way that we normally live out these traditions. Which I think is, can be helpful and even um, we need it at times to wake us up and say, what is it that God's telling us to do? Some symptoms of impurity that we see in our own hearts, elevating our will 
over God's will ultimately. So let's look at the diagnosis. The diagnosis that Jesus is going to show them is an impure heart. So Jesus here, he gets to the heart of the issue. And here we go, verse 10. This is our Bible verse. And he called the, the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Very good, very good. All right. Now the disciples go, wait a second, we don't get it. As often, they're a little slow to the game. So Jesus is going to break this down. Jump down to verse 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Now if you needed any clarification, I'm just going to leave this emoji up here. You can think about that. Now, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. Do you see the hint here? He says, what comes out that end should not be coming back out this end in the way that you speak to one another. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus says, this isn't about hygiene. The central problem is what's in your hearts, not what's in your hands. So I mentioned this in my Devo video uh, a week ago. My grandma, here she is, 80th birthday. Uh, she was up here two years ago visiting us. And this is a picture of her and I in the bottom left-hand corner there. Just a few years before that birthday party. Um, my grandma has had a really bad heart for quite a while. She had a pacemaker put in, multiple operations. Um, a couple weeks ago, she started having episodes. She said it felt like an elephant was sitting on her chest, which turned out that she was starting to have a series of small heart attacks. Now, had it not been for the blood thinners that she was on and the swift work of the um, team there at the hospital, she would have had a massive attack and would have died. They said they'd put two stents into her heart to prevent further blockage and damage. It required surgery, opening her heart, getting inside. Praise the Lord, they were able to do that, and she's home and she's well now. But imagine for a moment the absurdity of the doctor. If he looks at her heart problem and goes, I know just the thing, and he whips out some hand soap. He says, I just want you to wash your hands, Grandma. Right? Here's some Bath and Body Works. I know what will cure you. Toasted coconut. Toasted coconut. How can you smell toasted coconut? The Bath and Body, can we just say they're ridiculous? Frosted cranberry. Is it coming out with like little like ice crystals? Can you smell warm apple pie? Is there a difference between warm apple pie and cold apple pie? No, Jim's nodding his head and he's wrong. That, this is, these are things you learn and stress you out when you get married. You just, it's a whole thing. Um, but anyway, I, I digress. So so if the doctor told grandma, just a few scrubs of the hand and you're good to go, she looks at him and goes, it's my heart, you quack, right? That's the problem. But what, this is exactly what the Pharisees have done. They set up this hand-washing station when what they need, Jesus is saying, is a heart transplant. And specifically, on this, and this is amazing, this rabbi, uh, one of the rabbis in their writings said this way, Rabbi Tehaneth, he said, whoever has abode in the land of Israel and eats his food with washed hands may rest assured that he shall receive eternal life. He says, if you live on the right, in the right soil and you wash your hands, you'll live forever. I think how left of center have they gotten and I just, I picture God in heaven, enthroned 
in glory. The angels bowing down, singing, holy, 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 in, in, in a, the presence of nothing but holiness, unapproachable light. And he goes, you think you can just waltz into my throne room because you washed your hands? You think some Purell is going to solve your sin problem? And it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. So, you know, what, again, what's our version of hand washing? We think, we think that because I went to a building once a week, sang some songs, showed up 10 minutes late, so I left 10 minutes late, bounced it out. Maybe because I, I, I was pretty good, pretty moral, right? I, I acted better than the neighbor down the street. I could always find someone who's worse than me. If, if we look to just these externals, and we think that God's going to go, oh, I didn't see your clean hands. Come on into my holy presence. It's only after an honest assessment of our heart. And that's what Jesus has been getting to back in the Sermon of the Mount. He says, you know what's in your heart? It's adultery. It's murder. It's greed. It's selfishness. It's lies. It's secrets. And until we see the depth of our sin, we will continue to apply hand soap to a heart problem. The only question that matters is what does that God demand of me? And he says, Jesus said, be holy as your father is holy. To be able to go into his presence is to share in his nature, to have the same heart that he does. Now, part of Israel's cleansing rituals was to abstain um, from the kinds of foods and customs of the other pagan nations around them, the dirty Gentiles, which is exactly where Jesus goes to bring home uh, his next point. The second surprising scenario is when what is really dirty can really be cleansed. Now, Matthew is so intentional at putting these two stories next to each other. It says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, he is moving from Jewish territory to Gentile territory. You can see here on the map, um, you can see it well, the, the green area is the Jewish region, and he's moving out of, of Jewishville up to Tyre and Sidon. He may as well have said, entering pagan town. He is moving into what the Jews would call unclean realms. And so, verse 22, here comes an unclean woman. Verse 22, behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me. O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now Matthew is going out of his way to call her a Canaanite woman. Mark just says she's a Greek of Syrophoenicia. They wouldn't have even used this term by um, Jesus' day. They wouldn't have called her a Canaanite. Matthew knows what he's doing. Jesus knew exactly who he was talking to. Um, this would have gotten the Jewish hackles up. Why? Well, who were the people of Canaan? These were the very people that God had Israel drive out as they entered into the promised land. These were the historic enemies of Israel. And again, in a book written to Jews, we're seeing it's consistently God's enemies are the ones that are demonstrating the greatest faith. And when she says here, have mercy on me, O Lord, she says, son of David. She gets it. She knows who Jesus is. 
Uh, he's from the line of David, the promised Messiah to rule and reign over his people. This, this Canaanite woman is giving a better profession of who Jesus is than his own people have been. You could not have said something more Jewish if he had spun it in a dreidel. And this is the nemesis of the Jews coming to the Jewish Messiah for blessing. What a beautiful reminder as Romans 5 says that Jesus came and died for those who were his enemies. So that we could be called the friends of God. A blessing for the people of Canaan too. But wait here. Jesus' response at first, it seems pretty weird. Like, where, where are you going with this, Jesus? But he did not answer her a word. She cries for mercy for her demon-possessed daughter. And Jesus just totally ignores her. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. They say, can we get rid of this? Can you, can you just heal her daughter and, and tell her to be off, Jesus? He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This lady's a Gentile. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow, Jesus, like, what are you doing here? What are, how cruel could you be? Is this, is this racism? Like, is Jesus denying this woman a healing for her daughter based on her skin color? I mean, imagine somebody at the local hospital, or is it, I don't know, probably more over there, at somebody at the local hospital, a doctor, denying somebody because of their nationality or skin color. They'd be fired on the spot. But remember what Jesus has come to do. He's not just a traveling doctor. Jesus has a laser-focused mission that he is the king coming to bring his kingdom. And whom, to whom was that kingdom first offered? To the Jews. Now, to think of this as an illustration to see what Jesus is doing here. Imagine that I'm teaching a Sunday school class. And it's everybody's favorite time. It's snack time. And I have uh, Gertrude here. And we'll just call her Gertrude because it's such a lovely name. Um, I'm going to have Gertrude pass out the goldfish. Now, Gertrude is not any more special than any of the other kids. Her mommy and daddy might disagree, but um, she does. While she's no more special than them, she does have a special job, right? It's her job to pass out the goldfish. Now, if I just start handing out the goldfish myself, Gertrude's like, hey, you said that was my job, right? Kids will always hold you to their word, to your word. They're uh, sticklers for truth and order. Um, so I first instruct Gertrude on how to pa- scoop it like this and pass them out like that. And, and then I have to legitimately give her the goldfish in order for her to give them to the rest of the class. Otherwise, I've gone back on my word. I've broken my promise. See, God didn't love Israel more than he loved the rest of the world. That they were his chosen ones, the ones that he chose to pass out his goldfish to the rest of the world. These are his people that they're set apart to be a light to the nations in the way that they lived and worshipped God. But they were his chosen ones. Jesus is fulfilling the purpose for which Israel existed. That was to be a, a vessel of worldwide blessing. That was to spread the good news that there is a cure for these defiled hearts for every nation, even Canaan. And that's why Israel had to hear first. Just like Gertrude and the goldfish, you can't give something away that you don't have. So he had to first legitimately offer it to Israel so that they could pass it on. When he sends out his Jewish disciples before he ascends, he says, I want you to now go take this goldfish to the ends of the world. And if they didn't have it, they couldn't 
give it out. And so this is a matter, ultimately, we've said it before, this is a matter of procedure, not priority. He didn't love the Jews more than the Gentiles, but it was to them first and then through them to the rest of the world. So hear that, because we can take these analogies too far. When Jesus says it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, he's not saying, I see Jews as actual human beings and everybody else as animals. This is simply an issue of procedure. He's saying one first, then the others. At your house, you're going to feed your children before you feed your pets. Most of us, although sometimes in this day and age, that comes into question. But what happens? Like, I eat with my nieces and nephews at times, and I know if there's a dog under that table, there will be crumbs. Of course, actually, for my dad, too. He can be a messy eater. But um, they, they will eventually get their food, right? It's just going to come next. This is, an, this is an issue of timing. He says, the Jew first, then the rest of you will be fed as well. Um, this is interesting, though. She, the, the Canaanite woman, as she responds to Jesus' words, actually shows that she has a better understanding of the biblical timeline, again, than most of her, the, the Jews there at the time. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She says, yes, but eventually the dog gets to eat too, which is interesting, coming on the heels of last week's chapter, when we saw that when Jesus passed out the bread to Israel, there was 12 baskets left over. There was plenty for everyone. God loved the whole world. She says, I, my, my time is coming. She sort of breaks in from the future and says, eventually the Gentiles will receive this good news. You'll be our king as well. And I love the way Jesus responds. Verse 28, Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. This O woman in the Greek showed this strong emotion. He hears her faith. He sees her faith. And he says, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. He says, I, feel, I see your faith and it fills me with joy. And next week as we finish up chapter 15, we're going to see Jesus among the dirty Gentiles. We're going to see him healing them, feeding them, loving them because he came for everybody. So from this woman's response, what do we see for the cure of this impure heart? What's the cure? Well, remember... Again, talking about COVID, um, we've seen that the hand washing, we're all being told, hand wash, social distance. Now, we've been told that washing our hands doesn't prevent the, the disease. It, it actually just slows the spread of it, right? Another phrase that none of us knew two months ago, we're flattening the curve, right? It's going to slow things down. What we really need is a vaccine. We, to, be, to, to be immune from the virus to find a cure will not come in hand washing, but the, it will address the problem inside. Now, that's the same thing. We see that the law was given an external obedience, a behavior change that will slow the spread of sin, right? That's why we have governments. But it, it cannot eradicate sin. It cannot heal us of sin. It's an outward, it's not an outward problem, it's an inward problem. It's hand-washing when you've got a failed heart. I'm sorry, toasted coconut. You're not cutting the mustard, right? <laughs> to mix my metaphors. The real question is, how can the human heart be made pure? And what we see here today is a comparison in Matthew 15 between the Pharisees, the most Jewish of Jews, and the Canaanite woman, seen as the enemies of the Jews. So two things we see here for the cure, and then we'll be done. The first one is seeing the depth of our sin. 
seeing the depth of our sin. The Pharisees were blind to how deep their sin problem went. So they thought they could control it with outward rules. They, they put themselves at the forefront and thought they could handle it. Where the Canaanite woman, she saw the only help, the, the only hope that my daughter has because the problem is inside of her. She's possessed by a demon. Washing hands isn't going to heal her. She needs somebody else. She needs Jesus to remove this evil thing to, that she needs saved from. You know, in our um, Celebrate Recovery that we had going in step with the 12-step program, the very first step said, said this. I'm talking about dealing with hand washing and you need a heart transplant. The first, the first step in Celebrate Recovery said, realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. And until, this, this has got to be the first step. Until we see the depth of our sin, until we understand this is not just something we can manage. All right, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give in to that temptation again. I'm going to finally make that, I'm going to stop doing the wrong thing and start doing the right thing. I'm going to change. I'm going to manage my life. I'm going to control my tendency to do the wrong thing. As long as we think we can still do that, we're not going to cry out. We're going to continue to try washing our hands. But it's only when we see how deep the problem goes. That we're going to cry out. That we're going to finally call the surgeon to make the transplant. So first of all, we have, to, we have to be seeing the depth of our sin. But then it turns to us crying out from the depths for our Savior. See, the Pharisees, they honored God with their lips. But then their hearts lived totally for themselves. Corbin, Corbin, Corbin. They managed their own lives, lived for themselves. Where the Canaanites woman's, her lips, they simply cried out, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, son of David, the true king. And even when Jesus called her a dog, her faith said, all I know is you're the only shot that I have. You're the only hope that my daughter has. I need you to heal her. I need you to respond to me. Now, we're in, in this, as, you, as you're listening to this, we're all in different places. I would never want to categorize us all in the same way at the same time. Some of us today are walking in the sandals of the Pharisees. Some of us are saying one thing, but completely doing another thing. Um, it's what, it, we're living a lie. Jesus called it being a whitewashed tomb. And outside you look very pretty, but inside you're dead. Inside there's corruption. And, and my prayer for you is that, that the Lord would gently tenderly, lovingly show you the depth of your sin. That's the first step. But then some of us are walking in the sandals of the Canaanite woman. Some of us are, are feeling that helplessness. We're feeling the dirtiness. We are, we are seeing very clearly that our life is unmanageable and we're crying out from the depths. And to you, I want to say that our holy God loves you. And that our God came into our dirt left that throne room surrounded by angels. And he buried himself in my dirt so that I, the dirtiest sinner of all, could stand and rejoice with him in his presence. The depth of our sin is only outmatched by the, the deeper love of Jesus. His finished work is not just washing our hands. It's not just cleaning us outwardly. It's actually giving us a new heart. 
And this story is a shadow that points forward to what Jesus is going to do at the end of the Gospel of Matthew to give us that new heart, his heart itself. Father, we thank you that you saw our need, that you saw the depths of my sin. That you see that the problem isn't just that I, I do a couple of things wrong, that I have a completely wicked, corrupt heart that does not, that cannot, that cannot have a relationship with you, that cannot be in your presence. But Father, I want to thank you that you came in, you made a way through Jesus to remove the evil heart and to give us his pure heart. Father, that's what we need today. That's what we cry out today. I pray for brothers and sisters who, who have kind of fallen under the spell, live in the lie that because they go to church and because they write a tithe check and because they're involved in the right kind of programs, because they don't cuss or drink too much, that you're, you're going to be happy with them. Father, that we would mercifully see just how deep the problem goes to then rejoice to see how just how far you went to make things right, dying in our place and then raising to a new life. And you, Lord, are, have, transform, have, have um, given us a new heart. You have performed the heart transplant. So, Father, we want to sing to you, cry out for that clean heart that only Jesus can give. May we echo the, the, the words of the Canaanite woman, have mercy on us, O Lord. Heal us in the way that only you can. It's in your healing, purifying name that we pray. Amen.